0: Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie
1: Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd like to welcome for the very first time, Tony Wenzel co-founder and president of Brandometry. They're an ETF that invests using the Brand Value Index. Tony, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: So, Tony, you've got a background in fast-growing technology firms. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, so I started my career, uh, my real part of my career, uh, in in startup software. So, uh, most recently was selling eight and nine figure deals to uh, large highly distributed companies that included software and hardware and installation at the data center installation at things like mcdonald's restaurants or big bank branches uh, and monitoring of that software and equipment and management and of that equipment and of course field break fix that kind of stuff
1: okay and uh you you've been in the world of finance uh for about how long
0: <clears throat> Yeah, so I, what happened was as I, I had been selling these big, massive deals to to banks and and retailers and highly distributed enterprises, and I uh, hit a lull. There was a point at which every CMO in banking pretty much knew who I was and what I was trying to sell them, and I couldn't move any more products. so I had to find a way to add value to them. So I commissioned a study uh, of what you know what the software and the solution as a whole actually delivered to CMOs and and to banks and and to restaurants. In this case, it was mostly banks, but but, uh, and the thrust of that, I hired some folks out of a company called Brand Finance, and Brand Finance looks at the value of intangible assets and helps you figure out where you're, you know, where the value of things is actually coming from. And uh, I, I hired these guys to to look at what our solution delivered, and they, they came back with some really surprising things. We, you know, you want to put a message at the point of sale to you know to, to get people to be interested in things. So I thought there would be a very strong advertising effect, and they said, yeah, there's a fairly decent advertising effect. But the real value is in in the perception of innovation that it drives uh, among not only customers, but people who see the bank from the outside. And that was what really drove me into this brand thing. And uh, along the road, uh, doing a business where we were looking at how branded investment in things like support or R&D or marketing or advertising drives profit growth risk and cost of capital, I met some guys that were trying to take these same ideas and build an ETF. And that's how I kind of got into the finance business about two years ago.
1: Okay. So brandometry was the child uh, that grew from that inception. So tell us what what brandometry is and how it's unique and different.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm grateful for that question. Um, I would say what what makes brandometry possible is the the kind of the way the economy has changed, right? So the way companies invest is different. You know, when they get their capital and the way corporate value is generated and measured is is completely different than it was a while back. So about. We're, as an organization, we're all about undervalued, strong brands. So we get there in a way that I don't think any other research company does. Uh, our, this whole background in intangible assets, 87% of the value of the S&P rides, resides in intangible assets, as I understand it. And, and this, this is from a lot of different experts. Uh, but in, in 1975, only about 17% of the value of the S&P resided in, it was mostly tangible in those days. So intangibles are unique because they're called non-rival, right? You can't use them at the same time. So for example, if I have a tractor and I build a tractor and that's my product, only one person can use that tractor at a time. But if I build software, a million people can use the same browser at the same time. So there are also Sunk costs, you can't really get a loan for doing software development. They spill over very well, so someone can steal them from you very well because it's an idea. They scale really well, and they uh, are very synergistic. So an intangible asset works really well with other intangible assets, if you see what Apple did with the MP3 player and with compact. Design and mini discs and that kind of—they kind of came up with some pretty cool ideas. Anyway, I hope I answered your question. Sorry about that.
1: Okay, well let's, uh, Tony, let's bring this uh, down to the, the very basic level here. So this yep. is an index, and it consists of what kinds of companies.
0: Yeah, so these are all large-cap U.S. equities. Um, you'll know the names of pretty much every every single one of them. Maybe one that uh, some people don't know the name of, and that would be General Dynamics. And I think most people, even investor, intelligent investors, would probably know most of them.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so, how do they qualify to be in the index?
0: Yeah. So that that uh, another another great question. So. We, if we look at as a, if we look at it as a funnel, we would start with something similar to the Russell 1000, and as we move down the funnel, we work with a company called Core Brands who does our, our survey research. So when you measure the value of a brand, you usually use perceptual you know, measurement, so that requires a lot of survey work. So Core Brands has been doing surveys of you 1,000-plus know, a, a companies for over 26 years, and so our, our universe starts with the 1,000 companies that they you know, are, are, have been calling and, and, and checking in on for a long time. So what they do is they interview folks that are C-level executives who uh, know these companies very well. They can either do business with them or they do do business with them. So to be eligible for the index as we move farther down the funnel, you've got to be U.S. companies or ADRs. You have to have a market cap of over a billion dollars and positive return on invested capital. But in terms of the core brands piece, they have a score system, and they ask three kinds of questions, right? The first question is, what do you think of the management team, right? And it's a bunch of questions around how strong the management team is the second set of questions is, how strong is the reputation of this organization, the brand itself? And then, would you invest in this company as a sophisticated investor? Would you invest? So we're basically asking experts for their opinion on this. And they come up with a score, and that score runs from 1 to 100. To qualify for the brand power index uh, and and for the uh, brand index, you've got to have a score of 60 or higher.
1: Okay, and there are about how many companies in the index at any given time?
0: about 50 companies, so uh, the, the way it works is the, we're, we're, looking, uh, at, 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 uh, we're looking at the spreads between this year's brand strength and last year's brand, brand strength as a numerator, and this year's stock price and last year's stock price as a denominator, and we're looking, we normalize that volatility, and we're looking for the spreads between those, and we'll take the 50 companies with the best spreads between those two, uh, <clears throat> between those two measures. That makes us basically a reversion to mean kind of uh, solution.
1: Okay, and you guys are long only and uh, no leverage?
0: No leverage, yep, long only. We rebalance once a year. Uh, yeah, So uh, we're, we're looking for a year-over-year change, and uh, I think it's important to know that we're also equal weight.
1: Okay, you're equal weight among the 50 or so. So l- let's see if I understand this. So you guys go to the marketplace, the, 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 the smart money op- marketplace, people who are familiar with, Walmart and IBM etc cetera, etc cetera, companies that we've typically have heard of and you get their input as to these smart money executives what they think of the companies you're looking at and you take those that have the most positive responses and you say they basically offer to the marketplace, the most popular brands, the brands most likely to perform well and be profitable, over time, not necessarily in the next three months, but over time, and you create an index with that, and then you go in and you buy shares in those. You don't do any shorting. You don't do any fancy stuff, and you hold that and then rebalance once a year with the idea that the, that these companies have intangible value in their name and their mode of operations. Is that basically it?
0: Yep, that's the thrust of it. We're looking for strong, undervalued brands. So you'll see companies like Apple or Bristol-Myers or Facebook or Intel or uh, Kraft, uh, you know, Nike uh, companies, and we'll look at them. We interestingly, from time to time, we'll have some graphs that'll show you where the gains came over time. So I remember we had a a slide in one of our decks that showed Nike and Microsoft and Tiffany and, and, and a couple others. But the thrust of it was... Nike was a great one for us to own. Tiffany was a great one for us to own, but well, we we didn't do well on Microsoft. So at certain times, it just didn't grow in the way we thought it would uh, based on the uh, based on the index.
1: Yeah, that, well, that was years ago. You know, yep, it's done okay in the past couple of years here. So, no, done uh, very well. so to to understand this, you don't use any fundamental analysis. Whether or not they pay a dividend, is that dividend growing? Are their earnings growing, et cetera? You don't look at any of that stuff.
0: No, so it, again, it's the brand strength score change over the, uh, over the stock price score change. So we're not looking at, uh, at fundamentals or factors uh, in, in, in a sense. So we're really taking expert opinion and saying, hey, what do you think of how strong these companies are? And based on that strength, we're, we're, we're presuming that there's going to be a re- reversion to the mean uh, of, their, of their stock price.
1: Okay. But if there's a reversion to the mean, how are you able to take advantage of that if you're long only?
0: So we, we rebalance once a year, so we're going to get different sector exposure and different uh, constituents. We roll over about 40% a year. So, uh, and historically, we've done pretty well against the S&P. Historically, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've beaten the S&P with, with higher dividends and, and lower volatility.
1: Okay, well, that's very interesting. So you don't try to time different sectors or companies' improvement. You just rank reg- or higher prices. You just recognize that that reversion to the mean is going to be a natural process, and so by rebalancing, you're looking to take advantage of that.
0: Yeah, that's when we can get to capture the upside. I think a lot for a lot of these companies, and it's interesting. A lot of people will say, you know, is that is this Something bad will happen and with a company's brand, and we'll, sit and, you know, everyone will say, "Well, this is not necessarily a good thing." But you know, for us, it's kind of like, hmm, maybe that's a buying opportunity.
1: Yeah. So, for example, uh, companies that we have seen, of uh, certainly GE, uh, Boeing in the past two weeks, and uh, Wells Fargo. Okay, uh, you know, with all of the negative news there about them, etc. Uh, are, are you guys typically able to foresee some of those things because of the input from these surveys, or typically not?
0: It's a great question, and we asked this question about uh, a company in our uh, in our index recently, and that, that company was Kraft Heinz. Uh, yeah, we we're trying to say, well, why didn't we? Why weren't we able to figure out? That uh, you know, these guys were trying to hold the line on pricing, and that it was not working. That the vendors were upset, and I guess it, you know what I, my thought on it, and I don't have an answer that's that's empirically accurate. But my thought on it is, brand takes a while to trickle to trickle down. It just takes a, a while yeah. for the perceptions that that individuals have to actually. Hit the reality of what is, uh, and we sort of we bank on that on the on the on the upside, and I think sometimes on the downside we'll miss it because it just doesn't move quickly enough. Now, some of these other things like Boeing, I think they're going to move pretty quick. <laughs> right? I mean, they're, they're, those are those sort of, certainly those tragedies, the Volkswagens, the Chipotles, where yeah. people are making you know decisions that are super painful. Those things, I think, you know, they, I think that they are going to cause uh, problems uh, in, a, in a quicker way. But these other sorts of things that are kind of hidden in the corporate uh, veil, or you know. If they take longer to get out.
1: So, what misperceptions about what you guys are doing do you find is is fairly prevalent among investors and advisors?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I'd say there's a lot of style fetish. I think you know uh, we do it this one way, <laughs> um, and I would say there's a trillion ways to do it wrong, but there's probably a, a million ways to do it right. Um, I' I've lot of I, lately, I've noticed a lot of emphasis on performance chasing uh, over kind of exposure targeting, and so you know this is the kind of exposure we're trying to look for. Um, uh, you know, but in terms of brand, I think a lot of folks uh, feel like brand is necessarily a timing game, um, and and it isn't necessarily kind of a more strategic game that you can play, Uh, I would say those are probably the, the, the the key ideas in that misperception arena.
1: Okay, and well, what objections do you come up with? Uh, do, do, do advisors and investors come up with, and and how do you respond to those objections?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, we're a new ETF, so we hear a lot of them, uh, and I think there's still a lot of misunderstandings about how ETFs work. Um, so the the main the, the main one I think would be about liquidity, and I think people have a sense that ETFs have or have not a certain level of liquidity, and when in fact What's in the ETF, the basket, is really where the liquidity comes from. And so a lot of folks will say, well, I'm a little worried, you know, you, you're not very liquid. And I'll say, well, you know, the stocks in our basket are every, – almost every one of them is a, is a Fortune 500 company, and they trade 925 million times on average every day. So, <laughs> that's, you know, that they're, they're pretty liquid. So yeah. the other thing is kind of the AUM, right? So when you're a small ETF, everyone yeah. wants to know that you're a big ETF and but yeah. there are certain unwritten rules um, – you know, that I think people people have about how they want to invest and who they want to invest with. And I think some of those are related to how much, how many assets you have managed to collect uh, to date.
1: You know, that that always interests, if not intrigues me. Because one of the things you learn early on in the investment world is that to have a large pot, uh, amount of capital to invest is not an advantage, it is a disadvantage. You can't <laughs> go in and be be nimble and quick and buy here and sell there. You, you've got to take time to buy things, otherwise you're going to impact the, 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 the stock price and time to sell things. And so when people say, oh, I only work with companies that have $20 billion, hey, pal, you're handicapping yourself, or you may yeah, be, uh,
0: interesting. you it's, know. <laughs> That's the Berkshire Hathaway kind of paradox, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it, it, it interests me to hear that. So, Tony, um, now moving on just a little bit here, what's the best advice you've ever heard, read, or received about investing?
0: Yeah, I would say the best advice ever is just be in the market early, meaning when you're a kid even, uh, and always. Always be in the market, because if you're not invested on, what would what they say, the top 10 days of the market, you're lucky to be flat. Right. But if you're in the market, you're, you're smiling because nobody knows what day the linchpin of your future is going to strike. It could be right in the middle of the worst market ever. So I think that the best advice is just to, to always be in the market.
1: Yeah, it's kind of uh, like uh, people often say about getting into real estate or, well, when should you plant a tree? They'll say, well, 20 years ago. What's the second best time to plant a tree? Today. OK, so
0: no, absolutely move.
1: So so who are the buyers of your ETF as far as you know are they uh, retail investors any uh, institutional investors
0: Yeah I, I don't know that we're getting a lot of retail or institutional at this point you know right now our target is advisors and broker dealers that have $5 billion or less in AUM, and, and that's because there's a lot of again these rules about who and you know, who large broker dealers will invest with, and that sort of thing. And a lot of those things I think are holdovers, you know, from the mutual fund world. But uh, either way, they kind of preclude us from calling on a, a Merrill or a Morgan Stanley until we hit, you know, I think at least 50 million in assets. So th- that, that's our target right now, is the five billion or less uh, group.
1: Okay, and typically uh, advisors who recommend your, your, your fund, okay, what are the main reason or reasons they're recommending it? They think that, you know, brands is, is easily understood by people and that, yeah. uh, you know, probably over time they're going to outperform?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. So it's, it's interesting because we, we can act as a core Component, you know, maybe take over some of your your beta stuff because we're going to be a m- little bit more performant and, and probably a little less volatile, uh, or we can be uh, you know a more of a satellite type of approach. And you know, we've got clients that speak to both. You know, I, I would say we're kind of a blend. If you look at us in a bo- in a style box, we're going to be a blend of you know of. Of value and growth. And and we've got folks on both sides of that uh, kind of continuum. And I don't want to get religious with them because I'll take either one.
1: Yeah, I got you. And that was going to be my next question of how you're doing on growth versus uh, value, because all you read about value is it's uh, been struggling and will probably continue to struggle. So do you keep track of that and use that in any way in establishing the index or you just take uh, take all comers here?
0: Yeah, well, look, I think it's important to, to – to look, you've got to have some of your portfolio in, in the market and in, in fast-moving, momentum-driven things in a, in a market like this. When does that stop? Who knows? But, that, you know, as an equal weight and as a value, right, that's going to put us at a disadvantage in a market that's, you know, in a, in a dead run. But when things slow back to, you know, to a broad reach, you know, I think we're going to start to come back and, and, and look like a more interesting kind of thing. So I, I think it's just a matter of what exposures are right for, uh, for folks at, you know, at any given moment and whether they're thinking, okay, it's been pretty good for a while. Are we going to get defensive or are we going to, you know, depending on where you sit in your, your, uh, prognosis for the economy.
1: Yeah. So, so tell me, I would think, uh, and let me know if this is not accurate, but I would think that the companies you have because of their size, they're going to have greater international exposure. And uh, there are times when that can be a real disadvantage. And moving forward with tariffs and all kinds of things that are happening, we could well be coming into the next couple of years or so where that's the case. Do you guys consider that at all? Uh, Do you agree with that? How do you see this international exposure and the potential disadvantage it could be for uh, your index?
0: Yeah, it's this particularly, you know, this currency kind of situation, and you know uh, th- what's going on, in and with with this China becoming so big, and uh, you know, and and, and you know, t- the disrespect they seem to have for intellectual property and, and tangible assets yeah. generally. So I, it is something we worry about. I, I we haven't we don't have a uh, you know a, a strategy really for manipulating currencies to our advantage <laughs> yet, but uh, we. We're thinking about it all the time. But, yeah, I think you're, you're on to something. I would totally agree with you. I think that this is an important thing to consider, you know, if you're putting together a portfolio is, you know, if, you know how does a Schmuckers or a Sherwin-Williams, uh, you know, you know could, uh, compare to maybe someone like a Microsoft or a Morgan Stanley or, you know, or a Kellogg or an IBM who's going to have a little bit different sort of exposure.
1: So here's another question we would like to ask all of our guests here, Tony. What keeps you awake at night?
0: Yeah, it's funny you hit on it in the last question, and I think I think about what Thucydides would have had to say about the U.S. and China, right? I mean, so for those who don't know, Thucydides was uh, he was an Athenian general, and he's credited with the, the Pericles funeral oration. So maybe if you remember that from college, but he,
1: he had. No, I, I, I was out of college by then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> in 400 (laughs) B.C. But he he had a journal of the Peloponnese War between Sparta and Athens in the 5th century, and and this idea of the Thucydides trap is that the declining power, let's just say that's the United States, has to push, there's a momentum for war against the rising power, which, you know, in this case, let's just say it's China. You know, and I worry about that momentum and what it means for my kids, and I worry, you know, what the Chinese imperialism and hegemony looks like, uh, and I wonder what that means for freedom for the world because I, I feel like they have, a, a, you know, a different vision of where they fit in the, in the global structure. Um, I also worry about the levels of debt that, that, that the government has and that companies have and households have. And, you know, I ask myself what time, at what point can we not afford to pay our debt? And, and I think, you know, in terms of this industry, the ETF industry in general, I, I worry that the industry is really sharpening the knife that's going to cut its throat by lowering fees all the time. These companies can play the stock lending game in a market like this, but what happens when the economy goes bare? Yeah, you know, can, you know, should we be worried about big companies again? Because they're they're basically taking away their own their own income, and I don't hear a lot of clamor for hey, please lower my fees another forty bips.
1: Uh, you know, uh, Jack Bogle and others have. Uh played that chord for so long people have gotten in line want to adopt it uh, who don't know what they're talking about not that fees are not important but uh, they, they have seemed to be the the latest hyper focus over the past few years and uh, like you say that that can lead in, the, in some wrong directions here but that's not what we're going to talk about today a final question we've asked all of our guests what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners
0: Hmm, interesting. I know it'll sound odd, but I like Business Inve- Adventures by John Brooks. I don't know if that's a book you're familiar with.
1: I'm not, I'm not.
0: Uh, you know, I read it because I, I had heard it was one of Bill Gates' um, favorite books, and, uh, you know, there's some great stories and case studies that really show you how, like, when the wheels come off. Like, what's really happening and and how leaders try to address them? And, you know, one of the most interesting ones I can recall is, like, the 1962 flash crash um, and and how that created just just chaos that ruined, like, 100-year-old companies, like, in 10 minutes. Um, And it's just fascinating to dig dig into those that they talk a little bit about I remember Piggly Wiggly, uh, this guy, this people were specking, and he went after them and ended up almost bankrupting himself. And Xerox created the copy machine and then felt like they were on top of the world, and then the, everyone seemed to catch up while they weren't looking. And, yeah. you know, just uh, lessons from Bretton Woods and just really interesting, really interesting uh, stories told from the inside, um, you know, in a, in a way that you just kind of go, oh, wow, if you, there's a lot of drama in them, and you could feel the stress these people were uh, feeling and and what it really you know what it was like to be there.
1: Hey, well, Tony, thank you very much. No one has recommended that. So again, the title and the author again quickly.
0: Uh, it, Adventures in Business, and the author is John Brooks.
1: Okay, B R W O K S. That's right. Okay, thank you very much for that. And that little tag to that, uh, based upon what you said, uh, you're concerned about keeping you awake at night. Anything that David Stockman says, writes, or thinks about, uh, you and he would be uh, <laughs> band of brothers here, and that oh, course, debt sure. uh, involved. That's he's a soul out there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, he was, of course, uh, I think the budget director for Ronald Reagan was much younger than, obviously, was a uh, went to. That from uh, US Congress, but uh, he's been singing that tune for some time. I read his 750 page book, I don't know, seven or eight years ago probably, and he's still singing that tune on YouTube and the like, but At some point, it's going to come home to roost. And no question about it, debt is not something we can continue to ignore. But again, uh, they're not listening to you and me on that. So whether they're Democrats or Republicans, they they, they spend, spend, spend. So for those who would like to know more about brandometry or you and your nine-year-old twins or anything like that, (laughs) where would they go?
0: Sure. We're at www.brandometry.net, uh, B-R-A-N-D-O-M-E-T-R-Y. Uh, so uh, that's probably one of the great places. We, we have a fairly decent uh, bunch of uh, videos on YouTube, uh, and you can look us up on YouTube. And uh, yeah, we, 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 our Twitter hashtag that we use a lot is uh, hashtag brand value matters.
1: Okay. So final words for our listeners here, Tony.
0: I would say if intangible assets were an asset class, it would be the biggest one in the world. And brand is the biggest slice of that intangible asset uh, pie. So, we're trying to find a way to invest in it. So, uh, you know, brand value matters, and you know, we're all about undervalued strong brands. That's what I would say.
1: Uh, You know, Tony, uh, we've got to congratulate you. ETFs are, uh, you know, very uh, about a decade, uh, about a century old now, and there are thousands of them, and uh, there are next to none that are unique. And we've got to hand it to you guys for uh, coming up with a unique way to approach uh, the marketplace. And uh, you guys have done it. and It all sounds, uh, you know, reasonable. So our best wishes to you and to brandometry.net in uh, continuing to be successful and effectively uh, impacting people positively. People's financial life. So, thank you very much for being with us here today, Tony.
0: Ah, I'm super grateful. Thank you.
1: Again, we've been talking with Tony Wenzel, co founder and president of Brandometry.net. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. And uh, you can contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, Strategic Investor Radio. Com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.